I'm Jay from Gallifrey Public Radio, a Doctor Who podcast and part of the Gunny Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other incredible geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. Welcome to episode 194 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we help you tune up your podcast for the changing season. In this week's Better Podcasting Download, we help you tune up your post-production as we review our editing software, Magic's Vegas Movie Studio version 16. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we run down some of this week's Discord feedback, including someone with a new domain. Lauren, start the show now. Welcome to Better Podcasting, a show where we talk about podcast tips, tools, and best practices to help you succeed with your podcast. What makes us different? Well, just like you, we podcast purely out of the love and fun of it. Podcasting is our hobby, and we recognize that it's yours too. We always encourage your questions and feedback, and you can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. Here's your host for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Yes, we're back with another episode of Better Podcasting. I am Stephen John Drew, and I am pleased to say that the wonderful SP is here again this week. How's everybody doing this time? I am grateful to be back in the studio and recording an episode of Better Podcasting. We weren't sure when we were going to get to do it this week because of some family issues that both of us had going on. But we're here. We're grateful to have this show going on. We have a lot of information to get to everybody. But first, before we do, I wanted to start off by thanking both Sarah Ray Werner and Jen Rhodes the last two weeks. You two ladies were fantastic guests. If you haven't gone back and checked out episode 193 and 192, you really need to do it. Last week, Sarah Ray Werner talked all about audio dramas. She's got the Girl in Space audio drama and her own Right Now podcast, a how-to podcast about writing. And just to let everybody know that between when we released last week's show and when we're recording this week's show, she has dropped the episode uh, 13th episode of the first season, the finale of the first season. It's out there for Patreons. And by the time this posts, it'll be out for everyone. So if you haven't had a chance to go listen to the episode, if you're a Girl in Space fan, go get that right now. I have not had a chance to listen to it because of the aforementioned family issues. But by the time we talk about podcasting again next week, I will have. So we'll talk more about it then. Stephen, it was a great two weeks, wasn't it? Absolutely. Thank you both for everything you contributed on this show. We have had a lot of feedback come in. And seriously, if you have not checked those two episodes out, do what SP just said. If you're checking out the show for the first time this week, number one, go, go back and check those two out. Really do it. But we also start off this show every week with what we call a How I Save My Podcast Story. This is a segment where we encourage listeners to send in a story about something that went wrong and how it was fixed and resolved. And if we don't have one of those going on, we try to dig out something similar from the internet ether. Well, this week, I think we've got a first for us here on Better Podcasting, and it is an anonymously submitted entry, we'll call it an entry, to How I Save My Podcast. No, there's no contest or anything, but... It will call it an entry. And yes, it is an anonymous entry 
to this segment. And so we're going to turn it over to the resident reader, Stargate Pioneer, to read this entry. Anonymous writes us, quote, I write and edit and make my own show, but someone else does a final edit to add some network-related content as a mid-roll before it's published. A while back, an episode was released and, as always, I downloaded it and listened to it. And I noticed that it had part one of the correct episode, but part two was from a prior episode. When the final editor stitched the episode together, they grabbed the wrong part two for my show. I was able to notify the editor immediately and was corrected and re-released quickly. Now, over the years, I've also caught when the editor has edited the episode correctly, but had a problem with the upload and my 40-ish minute episode cut off after 20 minutes. I noticed it right away, notified the editor, and it was quickly corrected. My advice? Subscribe to your own show, download the file, and listen right away as soon as it's published. Even though you don't expect anything to be wrong, double check. Also, as a courtesy, if you catch a flub on somebody else's show and the episode is just released, do them a solid and let them know, unquote. Stephen, this is important advice to listen to your own show. I would add in that you'd want to listen to it before you actually post it, but if you don't have that opportunity or if something else does get screwed up while the file is being uploaded, you will want to listen to it and subscribe as well. Those are two things that I usually do every week with all four of the shows that I'm on. The other thing that I wanted to comment about this is the fact that there are different types of networks that people can participate in. Some are like the Gonna Geek Network, where we're just uh, a loose band of a bunch of different podcasters that like to help each other out and help each other grow. And as the owner of the Gonna Geek Network, I have no creative control over any of them. Everybody retains their show rights and, you know, all of those legalities and whatnot. But some networks, more traditional networks, you do end up having to submit your content to someone or someone has some level of control over your podcast. And if you're getting into a situation like that, it's worth considering this sort of scenario where that individual or those individuals may make a mistake accidental or maybe they go and trim something out that you think completely changes the shape of that episode. And if you are going to participate in something like this, you should always keep that in mind. And it's even more important to subscribe so that you can kind of hear the direction that they're shaping your show. They might have some specific things that they don't want on their network, and you might find that that's a critical part of your overall show. And so maybe at that point, you need to consider the next steps and sort of how you're moving forward with that network. So really, thank you so much for sending this in. It's not an area that SP and I have a lot of experience with because, again, the Gunna Geek Network, we're not that type of network. And so I think when we have experiences that are unique like this, it's great for the audience to hear. And if you have something like this happen to you and you want to share with the audience, please don't be afraid to send it in anonymously and I will read it on the show. Or if you can manage to mask your voice or whatever, you can send us an audio clip. And we will share it with everybody because this sort of stuff really happens. And we want to make sure that if it does happen, that you can correct it really quickly or you can take preventative measures to keep it from happening. So thank you very much, Anonymous, for sharing this with us this week. Stephen, it's time to get into the main segment.
If you're listening to this show, the odds are that you have ambitions to make your show better. Well, either that or you just don't want to give up your membership to the Stargate Pioneer fan club. We know that you have to listen to the show every week to retain that membership. And while we often do talk about different ways that we feel can help make your hobby podcast better, where exactly do you start? There are a variety of different things that you can focus on, and each one comes with its own set of challenges and unique offerings for your show as you try to make it better. For example, if say you want to make the audio quality better on your show, it can be an instant way to show your audience that you are making improvements, but it can also be very expensive. On the flip side, creating better content can be inexpensive to do or maybe even free, but it can sometimes take time and effort, especially the time part. It can take a lot of time to try to improve the overall content with your show. So whether you've been podcasting for 13 years or 13 hours, if you want to improve your show, you should have a game plan on how to do that. As we end the summer, well, at least the summer for us North Americans, some people are starting to get back into their non-summer routines. They're getting a little more firm with their day-to-day activities, and it could be a good time to look a little bit about what you want to schedule for the closing out of 2019. And today we want to talk about how you plan that improvement. What exactly are you doing to take action and keep yourself in check as you work to finalize those improvements for 2019. So where do you want to start with this improvement plan? We'd recommend starting off with formulating a list of action items you want to get to. Some ways that you can formulate that this list is by asking a bunch of questions to yourself. Have you received any feedback about something about the show? Maybe you want to improve that something that you've received feedback for. Perhaps there's something that you heard on another show that you want to implement to yours. You're not really copying it, but you're like, hey, that something is working over there, that segment, that shtick, whatever. And I want to incorporate that into our show. Another question is, is there something you want to refresh on your show? Do you want to refresh a segment that is getting kind of long in the tooth and you want to create a new segment? Do you want to put new bumpers in? Do you want to put new graphics in if you're doing a video show? These are some things that you would want to refresh or perhaps a past wish list could even be the source of where you formulate these ideas, things that you've already thought of, but just don't have the time to actually go and implement. So ask yourself these questions. And if any of them pop up different items that you want to improve about your show, then go ahead and add them to a list for the rest of the year. Once you've brainstormed these ideas, you should put them in a place you can see them and reference them easily. If it's just you yourself, make sure they're in a location you can get to easily. If it is with a bunch of co-hosts, you can go ahead and slip them in to different places where everybody can view them too. We've talked a lot about these organizational tools a few times before, most notably in Better Podcasting episode number 144, Podcast Organization. So that could be a place that you could go to and make sure that everybody can see what you want to improve, or at least you personally, if you're doing a solo show, 
want to improve. Now, ultimately, the goal is to get these improvement ideas all in one central location so you can easily see them all in one glance. Now, because you've collected this list, you should think about what is needed for each item. Now, as you do this, consider things like, is there a financial commitment? Is there going to be money that you need to spend for this improvement? Is there a time commitment? How much more time is going to take you to accomplish this improvement? And then once you've accomplished the improvement to actually maintain it, do you need to accomplish anything else before you accomplish this improvement task? If there's something else, obviously you need to do that first. Is there homework you need to do? Is there research you need to do? Is there self-improvement you need to do before implementing it on the microphone? And are there logistical challenges? Essentially, if you wanted to accomplish this tomorrow, how would you get there? These are the sort of questions that you would have to ask. As you already have your brainstorming cap on, you should also consider what is the net gain going to be from each of these ideas that you've thought of? Some considerations that you might think of as you're trying to think about the net gains for your show is what sort of impact might it have on the audience? What gain will you personally benefit from this? Remember, you're a hobby podcaster, so you should have some form of personal gain from this. Is there a tangential benefit? For example, if you are thinking about improving your audio and you buy a handheld recorder to do that, and you get some microphones that plug into that handheld recorder, instead of just using a USB mic into your computer, this could potentially offer you the possibility to do some outside of the studio recording because now you have a portable array. What sort of challenges are you going to face from some of these situations? For example, if it's an idea for a recurring segment, there could potentially be some more prep that you're going to have to do. But you also need to think a little bit about what some of the challenges are that you're going to face from trying to implement all of these. For example, if it's an idea for a recurring segment within your show, there's probably going to be some more prep work that you're going to have to do. As well, maybe you're going to have to do some more production work to be able to execute on some of these ideas or possibly come up with the money if it's going to be something that needs a little bit of a financial commitment from you, such as those handheld recorders. And once you've gone and you've thought about all of these different ideas, you now have the foundation for you to be able to arrange these items that you're wanting to do. Well, at least you're hopefully going to arrange them. Now, why exactly do we say hope, SP? Because you should also take a look and consider what you can do to pare down the list. It's important that you take a pass at the list to consider specifically if something should just get taken off altogether. Maybe it's too much to accomplish between now and your goal time. For example, if you had something on your list for the last five years, maybe you're just trying to convince yourself you should have it on your list. Or maybe there's something that you just know straight up that you can't fit into your schedule. For example, launching a new show when you barely have time to get your current show or shows out in a timely manner. You should try to do this with an objective mind, which can be really hard to do. A good tip is that if you're finding that your previously outlined benefits are grossly overshadowed by the challenges and cons, it might be one worth pulling off the list that you wish to accomplish in the last few months of the year or whatever time period that you've chosen. So when we say hope, we're talking about 
Can you do it in the time period that you have set out to accomplish your change for your show to make your show better? And once you've done this, you now have that working plan to lay out your ideas and how you want to go and organize them. Remember how we said that you want to have them all in a place that's easy to reference? This is because now that you have all of those ideas, you should take an overall look at your list and decide what exactly you want to prioritize. If there's some low-hanging fruit, maybe that's something that you can tackle first because it might be a little easier. It's a good idea to pick a couple of these ideas that you want to get to first and give yourself a mission to accomplish them. What exactly do you want to accomplish and when do you want to achieve that by? Set yourself a time frame, even if it's a little bit broad of a time frame. But we encourage you to be realistic and not bite off more than you can chew. For example, doing 10 things between now and November probably isn't going to happen if they're large items. This is because as you go through and you arrange your list, you're going to want to have some other considerations to the specifics of the items. When exactly are you going to fit this into your schedule? How are you going to do that? How will you implement the idea? This isn't just implementing it time-wise. This is thinking about how it will impact your show. For example, if you have an idea for a certain format change or an idea that will change the format of your show, is this going to be something that you just implement with a hard stop change? Or are you going to start off by rolling it out slowly, maybe doing an introductory episode for the first time? You also need to consider all of the things that you thought of earlier, like those prerequisites that SP mentioned. How exactly are you going to get those accomplished if you need to do those before you get to the idea? Another example of that would be, let's say that you're going to enlist some help. Maybe it's as simple as implementing a new segment into your show. Well, let's say that your show has a certain standard of voice work done by somebody else. At the very least, you're going to have to reach out to that person to get them to do some voice work to be able to implement that idea. So now you need to coordinate with that individual or those individuals to be able to find out when they can accomplish it and will that meet your overall goal of your timeline. One method that we've heard help motivate people is to pick a couple of items that balance each other out. And this is when we're talking about arranging the list and trying to pick a starting place. And it can be very difficult to do. So you need to pick up a couple items that balance each other out. One more difficult and one more easier than give yourself a reward of some form for actually accomplishing these improvements. If you're going to do two difficult things to start, you might feel yourself being discouraged. But doing one of each can make it a little bit more motivating because if you start with a more difficult, the second thing will seem very easy. And the next thing you know, you have two checked off your list. Time management is a whole other conversation of itself, but it's a critical part of execution in this planning. There are many different successful methods that you can use, and there are many different places that you can go get them. Personally, we'd suggest checking out the Curiosity Daily featuring former guest of the show, Cody Goff, and his co-host, Ashley Hamer. They regularly covered methods for time management on their show that are scientifically based, and many of them can be applied to your podcast endeavors. So here are some examples that we've thought of, of some ideas that you might want to consider if you're going to try to improve your show. 
You might want to refresh some of your show elements if it's been a while. For example, your intro, your outro, your bumpers, your stingers, sound effects, different segments. These are items that after a while, they start to get a little long in the tooth. Another idea is promotion. Now, SP is all about promotion, so I'll let him tackle this category. <laughs> now, in podcast promotion, there are different ways to do it. We have a few episodes in our back catalog to actually bring these out, but Part of it is making new friends. So you're going out and you're talking to people one-on-one, -on -one, trying to actually make that connection with them, that you're interested in the same thing, and then you slide in. Oh, by the way, we talked about that in episode so-and-so. I have done this in a variety of different methods, methodologies. I've gone to different places on the internet, whether it's other Discord servers, whether it's Reddit. I have done this in person. I have attended conventions and I've done panels. I've attended panels for other people. So this is a way to make new friends in your podcasting endeavor. And that leads to networking because that's the purpose for making new friends. Well, not exactly, because if you're a hobby podcaster, that is the purpose for a lot of people is to create that network of friends that's interested in the same thing. But you can also use it for networking and think of it as growth for your show as well. I have given presentations on podcasting in various different forms, both locally and in other forums as well. And I have scheduled live shows as well to occur in different places. I remember one in particular down in Texas that was a, a wonderful experience, but it was to the audience that was already existing and encourage other people to come out to go out and meet your existing audience. So Promotion can work two ways. You can be promoting your show to people that don't know about it, as well as make those connections stronger with your current audience. Another thing that you might want to do to improve your show is join a network. We've heard this quite a bit. I haven't heard it as much in the last couple of months, but it was really big for a while for a lot of different reasons. Some of it was monetization based. We don't talk about monetization here, but basically you want to connect with like-minded people and share the enjoyment of your show. And maybe you get enjoyment out of their shows as well. And that's the basis or one of the basis of the GunnaGeek.com network. Another thing that you can do is increase your audio quality. Say you're all sharing that blue snowball microphone around a table in a crowded bar or restaurant or something like that. Hey, there's things that you should probably do for your audience to make that better. You can optimize the equipment that you have to get the best recording that you can achieve. Perhaps this is going to involve the purchase of new or different gear. This brings a financial commitment involved that we were talking about before. I just want to temper this since we're talking about buying new gear, that your goal here is not to buy the most expensive gear out there. The goal here is to make your show enjoyable and listenable for your audience. Anything more could be a waste of your time, money, and effort, but you do want to improve the listenability of your show to make it listenable for the audience. And then another thing we talked about before on this podcast is research and preparation, and you just want to make that better. So know what you're discussing before you get on the mic to record or stream or both, and you might want to craft your presentation better, and that would be preparation work that you would have to do. And you might actually want to get an outsider or a mentor opinion or a professional opinion to basically do what's called in radio as a mic check that I've heard. But basically, it's a review of your performance on the microphone to try to make your actual microphone skills, your podcasting skills better. Those are just some examples of some of the improvements that you're talking about. 
you know your show, you know what you need to improve. If you need to go out and ask other people to review your show, to get some ideas, go ahead and do that. But we talked about different ways to make that list at the beginning of the segment. Use that list, create your list, try to make your podcast a little bit better, and then let us know what difficulties you're running into, what successes you've ran into, and we would love to talk about it and promote your show in a future episode of Better Podcasting. Welcome to this week's Better Podcasting Download. As you know, both SP and I are pretty big proponents of Magic's Vegas Movie Studio, and we've both been using this for several years. I've actually done a couple pretty ambitious projects with it, one of which involved heavy, heavy chroma keying and a lot of different video clips. And I'm only mentioning this because I want to illustrate how capable Magic's Vegas Movie Studio is. The software from a podcast perspective also has support for VST plugins and in many, many ways resembles a regular multi-track DAW that a lot of people would use for audio editing. This is one of the reasons why we're big proponents of this because it does video very well and it does audio very well both in the same program. And this is very different from other consumer options that are available. Last year on the show, SP and I both talked about our experience with version 15 of Magic's Vegas Movie Studio. And so when 16 came out, we both wanted to be able to review it and talk about it so that we could keep everybody informed because we do know there are several people who have listened to this show, bought the software, and still use it today. So we wanted to talk a little bit about this and... Today, we're going to focus largely on our new version 16 experiences. We don't really want to talk too much about what exactly the whole software offers because it's almost redundant compared to some of the things that we've talked about in the past with it. If you want to check a little bit more out about that, we'd encourage you to check out the discussion that we had about version 15, which was back in episode 137. You can find that at betterpodcasting.com slash 137. Now, before we actually review this, we do need to give a full disclosure, a disclaimer. We were provided review copies of this. However, I do want to caveat our caveat, and it's that in the past, we have both purchased versions of Movie Studio because of the fact that we thought it was worthwhile. And obviously, we wanted to talk about it for the reasons that we mentioned. We want to keep everybody informed. So there's our caveat and our caveat of our caveat. So where exactly do we want to start off? SP, why don't you kick it off with some features of what changed since version 15? Version 16 had several changes from version 15, but it was nowhere near the massive UI overhaul that we saw in version 15. Compared to what we saw last year, the upgrade to version 16 feels very familiar, with the regular multi-track UI changes being fairly limited in comparison. However, there have been some potential major changes interface-wise. Traditionally, Vegas Movie Studio has tried to be a stripped-down version of Vegas Pro. Even though it was consumer-priced, it didn't fall in line with many of the other consumer-priced products. This is because often they were designed with a new user or someone with no experience in mind. Truthfully, 
The layout of Movie Studio could be daunting for somebody with no multi-track editing experience. This has changed a little bit in Movie Studio 16. There is now a clear welcome screen that is easy to understand and clear for a new user. You can easily open existing projects from this screen, as well as a few other easy access things that you may want when opening up the program. On this screen, you'll be able to easily access a guided video creator, which aims to be an easier way to assemble videos. One of the biggest changes in this version. Additional enhancements that are included in the Platinum version and higher of Movie Studio 16 include a new video stabilization editor and the ability to edit 360 degree video. So these are some things in Movie Studio 16 that are some of the biggest changes that we've seen. You'll notice a lot of them are video based, but remember you can do Movie Studio 16 as an audio only based editor as well which I think now would be a good time to mention that we do recommend only going with the Platinum or Suite version because the very basic version doesn't do VST plugins. That's why we thought we'd mention those key enhancements that were exclusive to Platinum and higher versions. Now, what are some of the things that SP and I both discovered as we were going through and using it that weren't heavily advertised for version 16 improvements? Aside from the main features that we just talked about, these enhancements, one of the first things that I personally noticed was that they did do some UI refreshes. So some user interface refreshes. For example, some of the icons changed. Real simple example of that is that the cursor is now a hand. As well, some of the other icons have been revised as you go through and use it. So just some updating. These icons that were used have been used for many, many generations, so they were feeling a little bit stale. One of the other things that I noticed right away was that the prompt or the dialogue boxes within the app feel a lot more modern. For those of you not familiar, Movie Studio, Vegas Movie Studio, and the entire Vegas line actually, used to be owned by Sony. But a few years back, a company called Magix purchased it. They did do some revising once they purchased the software. And one of the bigger changes from a user day-to-day -day perspective was that they did a major user, user interface overhaul, which was mostly changing to a more dark feel compared to the old Sony bright gray feel that used to be there. Truthfully, it never felt like it was fully done it sort of felt hobbled together in a lot of ways because as you would go through different sections, occasionally you would see that older style. And the dialogue boxes in many cases were an example of this. Many of them did feel very old and just not fluid with a lot of the other changes that they had made. Well, now that they've overhauled this, it's hard to describe, but it does just feel a lot more modern and complete because of that. Another thing that I noticed as well was that they did make a few changes that seemed pretty minor. They weren't really even advertised, but they were very sensible improvements. One of the ones that I was so happy about was when that I went to render the project. They added a very key button that makes it a lot easier. The way that I operate is that I save my projects in different folders on my computer. I have a better podcasting folder and I have a Gunna Geek Show folder. Well, when I went 
previously to save the file, I would have to click on a browse button to locate the other folder because usually I'm bouncing back and forth editing the show between them. And I would have to go and switch the folder over to the appropriate location. And this was because it wasn't smart enough to know if my project file is located in a certain folder, save the rendered file down to that folder. And it makes sense because a lot of people like to render their files in a different location than their working directory. People operate differently, so it does make sense. Well, now they've added a button where you just click it and it automatically changes that path to the project location. All you have to do is click this project location button and on the render screen and it automatically changes that path to that location. It's a time saver and saves me several clicks every time I go to edit a project. This has been an incredible time saver for me, or at least a convenience, because I've edited drone footage on my Movie Studio 16. I've edited kids projects. I've edited family projects for videos for events and stuff like that. And being able to click it to where the project file is has greatly enhanced my ability not to lose the file. I have rendered a file before and then searched forever for it until I finally found it and then copied and pasted it or cut and pasted it into the correct folder. So I love this new aspect of Movie Studio 16. And another thing that I thought was minor, but really a nice time saver because of the fact that this can go really, really wrong, it's a very sensible change, is that when you go to render a project, there is now an option if you accidentally hit the cancel to cancel your cancellation. What I mean by that is before there was a render box that would come up and it would show you the progress of the saving. So whether it was an MP3 or a video, it would show you how long it's done in the render. If you hit cancel before, it was instant canceled. And this has happened to me many times before where I've accidentally canceled and I'm most of the way through the render and I didn't mean to hit cancel. And so now it will actually prompt you to confirm you want to cancel. Again, big time saver when it happens because I have done that far too many times. Just to give the audience an idea of the time savings that we're talking about here, Imagine that you are rendering a 4K file. So that in of itself is like four times the amount that it's going to take to render a 1080 file. Now add on audio effects like Isotope RX5 or RX7, and you automatically make that render even more. So a one hour podcast can spend four, five, six hours rendering. And if you accidentally click the cancel when you're at the five out of six hour mark, it's happened to me before. That is increasingly, excruciatingly difficult to go through. I, I, it's happened to me twice in the last week, by the way, that I have hit cancel when I didn't mean to hit cancel. And that's why it's nice to have that confirmation. So what are some of the things that we don't like specifically or some challenges that we ran into as we've been trying this out over the last few months? Let's start off with USP. So one of the thoughts that I ran into is that Movie Studio 16 is a 64-bit program and 64-bit program only. One of the aspects of 14 and 15 when I was using it was that I could actually use 32-bit effects that or plugins and they were working just fine. 
It was probably not fine behind the scenes, but it, at least it was able to work. Unfortunately, it does not work that way with Movie Studio 16. So one of the plugins that I was using, it must have been by accident because I thought I downloaded the 64-bit version, but in GMAX, it's a normalization and leveling software that we use. The creators call it a maximizing limiter, and I had been using the 32-bit GMAX plugin. Well, when I used it specifically in the master effects file, one thing to know about the audio effects in Movie Studio is that you can lay them in per track and a master file. So what I did is I was leveling the final file and I wanted to make sure that it didn't go above a certain level and I had it in the master and I had that 32-bit GMAX plug in there and it caused the entire system to crash every time. Steven, I don't know if you remember when I ran into this, but I was desperately trying to get with you saying, what the heck is going on? I don't understand this. I'm just going to go to Audacity. And we finally figured out that it was, let's take one plug out, plug in out at a time and find the one that is it. And we found that GMAX was it. And then Steven guided me through was it the 32-bit and 64. I'm like, I'm sure I downloaded the 64-bit and I didn't. I had the 32-bit enabled. So just to let you know, if you're trying to use any of your 32-bit plugins, it will not work in the master FX file for Movie Studio 16. Another issue that I noted, it doesn't really matter that much, but it does take an incredibly lot longer for Movie Studio 16 to load than Movie Studio 15 on my computer for some reason. Maybe it's a setting in my computer. If I do a, a complete fresh install, maybe it would be fine, but it does take a long time. And I've used them both on this computer. I've used 15 and 16, and I've noticed the load times. 15 loaded right away. 16 took a couple of minutes, especially the first time I loaded on the computer. So it's a little bit aggravating, especially when you have an SSD and a high-end graphics card and a high-end i7 processor. But um, I was like, fine, it is going to be what it is, and I'm going to get up there. Also, there were a couple issues that I ran into until Steven reminded me of a setting to enable. So we're going to talk about them in case it happens to you and what to do. Sometimes when I am previewing and editing, I'm actually playing it through, the sound will just radically distort. It gets choppy. It distorts like a bad radio connection. And if not corrected and I don't actually hear good sound and I render the file, the distortion ends up in the final file. Also, I had this issue where if I had another video program running, like Prime Video, Voodoo, Netflix, whatever, YouTube, in the background, the sound will start to distort on the preview file. And by running in the background, I just mean like the window was up and I had paused it. And so the other program was causing this distortion in Movie Studio 16. Now, previously in Movie Studio 15, I just saved the file, closed the program, and then reopened the program, opened up the file, and it just corrected. However, when this happened in Movie Studio 16, I needed to completely reboot my computer to restore, not just the program. So what we ended up doing is Steven linked me to this disabling of an SO4 compounder setting, which he's going to talk about in a little bit. And it seems to have solved a lot of these issues. So if you're having these issues, make sure you listen to what Steven has to say in a little bit. Also, something that I've noticed that Steven has not noticed, and it might just be because I have more tracks open than he does. I 
tend not to think that's the case, but maybe it is because I'm actually round tripping audio. The program tends to crash with multiple audio tracks up. And by multiple tracks, I'm talking like 12, 15 audio tracks. And with all the effects on those tracks, the app program will just crash. One thing that I've learned very early in my editing career with Audacity is make sure you save early, make sure you save often so that you don't lose too much work when this actually happens. The program also has crashed when I'm quickly starting and stopping the command with the space bar. Say I'm trying to go back in and edit and I'm, I'm flipping the space bar. And no, 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 I wanted to stop. No, I wanted to start. And I'm also going in with the mouse and clicking on a track. All of a sudden it stops. And when you get this, what will happen is you'll get the uh, progress wheel on your screen going round and round and round and round. It won't do anything. I'm, I've had the computer set for hours trying to hope that it will save. And one of the things that it, Move Studio 16 does is, I don't know if it's just a natural setting or not, I haven't looked into this, but it autosaves. So if I leave it going for long enough, it will autosave to that point. And so I won't have to redo that work. However, it means I have to let it sit for an hour, two hours, whatever, just to make sure that it's saved up to most current point. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you lose work. And then when you click on the file, after the wheel's been spinning for a while or you click on the program, then it goes to that subdued gray, translucent, and then you know you're, you're hosed and you're screwed and you're not getting it back. So I've had that happen to me before. One other thing that I want to talk about is that I've noticed specifically with 16, maybe it's because my editing processes have changed from 16 to 15, is the small sounds in the audio waveform is incredibly difficult for me to actually see. I might hear it, but I can't actually see it. And if you watch any of my editing streams that I've done on my YouTube channel, you will actually notice that I've been paying attention to the audio uh, meter, the volume meter on the left-hand side of the track, but that doesn't always catch it with 16. So I was losing the ability to find where this actual audio was coming from. So what I've done, what I've resorted to doing now is I'm round tripping audio, meaning I will go into each individual track, I will actually render the effects on the track, and I will bring that new file back in the exact same file. This is before I start editing, by the way, so there's no cuts that I need to worry about. And I will bring it back in, and it will make it a little bit easier to see. Another thing that I've done is I've ex actually expanded the three or four relevant audio tracks for me and my co-hosts on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's up to four of us. And I will expand that as much as I can. So all four tracks are as big as they can get, but it's still not big enough for me to see some of the minute little clicks in the tracks to get rid of. So it's a little bit annoying there, but maybe it's an artifact of the way I edit versus how the effects are supposed to run. Maybe I don't have enough effects on, maybe I haven't spent enough on plugins. I don't know. <laughs> One of the things that I wanted to mention right away here, some of the dislikes and the challenges, is actually something that has been around for a while but can become very, very frustrating, and I'm surprised they didn't fix it. It's the fact that by default, there is this feature called Smart Resample that is automatically added to any of the video clips that you have. Saving the techno babble, this is something that can be used and helpful in certain situations, but in my experience, most of the time with quality video footage, especially the type of webcam stuff that we do, it just leads to more problems than it's worth. What happens is if you leave this on, occasionally 
your video might look a little bit blurry or a little bit choppy in certain ways. It just doesn't look quite right. I've actually been able to identify before when SP's rendered a video and I've gone, hey, you left smart resample on. And he's like, yep, yep, I did. Mm -hmm. The reason why this frustrates me is because more often than not, it's worth turning off. And I was hoping that they would make it so you could either default have it off or you could go and configure which way you want it by default. So as it stands, when you pull in a video to your timeline, you pretty much always have to go and right click on it and go disable resample. And that gets a little bit frustrating. Eventually you get used to it. Those of you who have watched my live streams on the edits will probably have seen that sometimes I'll forget about it and I'll go back and have to fix that. But it is something that if you don't do it, generally it leads to some weird video artifacts. Another complaint that I have, which is potentially a big issue for you, is that when I first installed it, I couldn't run it. It just would crash on startup. Now, what I found this was, and I don't know exactly what made me think to try this, was that I had a previous version of Vegas Pro on my computer. I think it was Vegas Pro 14. And it had a old version of New Blue Effects on there. It had a plugin effects made by a company called New Blue. And what I found was I could leave that version of Vegas Pro installed, but I had to uninstall that old New Blue Effects. And as soon as I uninstalled that, it started without issues. Now, this actually happened to me when I was wanting to edit a podcast, and it caused me delays trying to get in and edit my podcast. Now, if you know Vegas Movie Studio, you probably know that you can often leave those concurrent installed, which is what I did. I had version 15 sitting there along with version 16. So I thought, well, let's just go ahead and hop back to version 15. Well, I found that this also crashed. So by installing version 16, this interference caused version 15 not to work as well. So uninstalling the new blue caused both versions 16 and 15 to work together. But I wanted to mention this because if you are running previous plugin packs that maybe you got from previous versions of Movie Studio or Vegas Pro, you might run into this and it might be time to uninstall those. And the last thing that I dislike and really, really want to mention is that thing that SP said, that SO4 compounder. Now, the way this affects me personally isn't as much the issues that SP mentioned, but it's choppy video playback. And it's probably because SP has a faster processor than I do. What I would find was that as I would go and play things, it was very, very, very stuttery. I say very that many times because it really was. And if I didn't go in and disable this SO4 compounder, it ended up continuing to be that way. Now, saving the techno babble, essentially the way it works is that the way it shows MP4s, uh, I think it's AVC encoded videos, it uses a new method to process these videos. And so the new method just didn't cause smooth playback for my processor. This is something I actually mentioned last year with version 15, and I was hoping they were going to solve it with version 16, but that's not the case. There's absolutely a fairly easy solve. I will have the link in the show notes available at betterpodcasting.com slash 194. But I did want to mention that because it is something that I think most users are going to want to turn this off. 
because SP and I both have found that it has been helpful in disabling. So those are the big challenges that I had with it. I just want to go back a second and just tell everybody with the install issues that Stephen was having, that actually caused me not to install Movie Studio 16 for about a month. I remember I was on the road with my laptop and I was editing with 15 and the 16 came down and he was like, are you going to install it? I said, well, I'll wait a night because I'm going to have more time tomorrow. And then he started to have some issues. I was like, okay, I'm just going to use 15 on my laptop. I came home. He was still having issues. We finally figured out, he finally figured out what was going on. And so I finally installed it on my main desktop. But I'll tell you, that was very, very harrowing experience. I did follow his directions. I uninstalled the new blue and I got it going. But this is an example of if you have a podcast buddy, you know, if you have a podcast group, get in that group, ask if anybody's used it, ask if anybody's had issues, and then you can save yourself time and effort of not screwing up your deadline project that you have going on by installing new software that might not exactly work. Now, overall, even though Movie Studio 16 wasn't a radical improvement over 15 for me, I'm still glad they improved it. Maintaining software is a key to knowing if I should invest my time and learning in using it. I mean, if it's just going to be something that they throw out there and they let it sit and you don't know when the next version is going to come down, I question whether or not I want to actually invest into the software. Give me that faith to stay with the software. And Movie Studio has done that. Magix has done that. I continue to enjoy using 16 every week. And honestly, I look forward to 17, whenever that's going to come, if it's next year, the year after that, wherever. I look forward to what that has to offer because I know, I know at some point they will stop doing revisions of 16 and they will start working on 17. And I'm excited to see what 17 has to offer. Overall, even with the issues that I mentioned and the slow time that SP mentioned, I definitely have encountered that. I'm very happy with it in comparison to version 15. And the big reason that I have for this is because I've just found that it seems a lot more stable for my personal week to week experience than version 15 was. The stability in combination with some of the other improvements definitely makes the upgrade worthwhile, in my opinion, when it's on sale. Note that it does come on sale quite a bit, and I would suggest you wait for that. Save yourself a little bit of money. But if you are on a tight budget, and you don't really need that new simplified editing tool. If you have version 15 already, and you don't really see any must-buy features for your personal week-to-week -week workflow, you're probably okay to skip over version 16 and wait next year for version 17. However, if you are still back on version 14, I do think that it's probably worth buying version 16 this year because there were several things that were improved last year in version 15, like proper NVIDIA video encoder hardware video encoder, encoder support. And it's definitely worth having those. It saves you time. It makes for a better experience. And those came in in version 15. So it's worth, if you have version 14, in my opinion, jumping up to version 16 where you'll get those. As well, there were a couple of things that did come in after we reviewed version 15 last year that I did want to mention that weren't in our review last year, but are now seen in version 16 because they came in version 15. 
One of the biggest things, and the, the thing that I'll mention, is that now you can right-click on a spot on the timeline and go select all after cursor, which will select everything on the timeline after that point. It's a big time saver, and even though it's technically a version 15 feature, I wanted to mention it because we didn't talk about it last year because it came out after we talked about version 15. Overall, I've been very happy with it, and your mileage may vary depending on what exactly you're doing. The reason SP and I both wanted to talk about it was because we wanted to give two different experiences, because like with any software, depending on what you're doing with it, it can vary from person to person. For me, I'm very happy with it. And honestly, if I had only been using the version 16 trial, I probably personally would have bought version 16 anyways, because there's just a couple of things in there that I'm happy to have in version 16 for my personal use. I'm very grateful, as I said before, to be using Movie Studio 16. Would have bought it eventually, probably when it was on sale. And I look forward to continuing to use this because out of everything out there, this has the best set of capability that I use for editing. So your mileage may vary, as you said, Stephen, but I highly endorse Movie Studio as an editing platform. This week in the Better Podback, we thought we would kick things off by giving the solo better podbacker from last week another shout out. Damien in Discord wrote, quote, well, now I feel bad that an episode full of shout outs went live while I was out of town, unquote. Damien, Damien, Damien. We did that just for you and you hurt our feelings. That's okay. We'll get over it. We're just happy to have you part of our Discord community at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. We also had Jonathan Bloom say, I'm so glad you've been encouraging the domain for live streams. I have a site set up for my live streams. This way, if I ever need to switch from Twitch, I can. You are why I picked up a .live URL. And then he gave us a smiley face. And there was a fun little conversation on Discord about the use of .lives. So you should check that out at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. We also had Jonathan Bloom give us another interesting piece of Discord feedback. He did. Quote, Pandora has a new self-service portal for submitting to Pandora. Unquote. Now, we've been talking about that Pandora has been opening up to podcasters. And now there's a self-service portal that's out there that podcasters can submit to. So Pandora is inching ever closer into the where they could get a little bit more open with their UI to submit podcasts. And there you go. Steven, you had a little bit back and forth about it too. Yeah, and definitely check that out in Discord. Uh, There's a a little bit to consider with Pandora. Moving on to the last thing we wanted to mention, it came from the Liberty Dude, and we thought we would end the show with the way we opened it. And the Liberty Dude said... I just wanted to thank you both for having at girl in space on as a guest. She was a spectacular guest full of helpful information, a great personality and an intellect. I went to listen to the trailer of her show and ended up binge listening to all of them. Excellent writing, character development and voice acting. So looking forward to the next episode. 
This is an example of some of the feedback that we did get over last week's episode. And really, really thank you very much, Sarah, for coming on. And if you didn't listen to that episode yet, please do so. It's one that we're going to be very, very happy to be advertising for many years to come. Well, that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for the show. Before we go, I want to mention we are part of the Gunna Geek Network. The Gunna Geek Network has a lot of amazing geeky content on it and geeky podcasts. Please do check them out at gunnageeknetwork.com. So for episode 194 of Better Podcasting, I'm Stephen John Drew saying if you missed our live stream today, which is usually on Wednesdays at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern, you missed some fun. And I'm SP saying I look forward to next episode and let us know what you think of this episode. We'll see you all later. Bye. Bye. checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew of Gunna Geek Productions. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching. And we hope to see you again next week.